Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Verses 1 through 3 of a message titled, How to Prosper. And I know I've preached out of Psalm 1 before. I don't know how long it's been. Uh, But God laid this message on my heart tonight in the sense that, you know, we get ourselves, it actually kind of even refers to what I was referencing earlier when we, you know, we see people and we see things and realize that, you know, wow, parents are not as, uh, whether dumb or whether our parents were, you know, they were just so strict and they just tried to ruin all my fun. Actually, parents unless you have one that has uh, some psychological issues. I've not met a parent once that doesn't want the best for their kid. I've not met a parent once, and I have met some in the secular world that had some pretty devious, uh, they wanted their, their children not to do well. They always wanted their, their children to be under them so that they could feel like they had this ability to show that they had it figured out, but yet their children didn't. That's warped, and that happens in life. There are some warped people out there. But for the most part, you know, speaking of the vast majority, most parents want better for their kids. I want my kids to do better than me. I want, I want to look like uh, I'm dumber than a box of hammers compared to my kids. As a matter of fact, I told you all about my friend at Stanley who went in there and ground all the pry ends off the hammers. Remember that? Did a whole pallet of them on his first day. He ground every one of the claws off the hammers. He was supposed to just take the, the burrs off of them for the hammers. Well, he got bored. So his first day at Stanley, he was so bored, he began to grind all of the claws off the hammers. So by the end of the day, he had finished <laughs> the pallet of hammers that they'd asked him to grind down. But the only thing that was left was the hammer <laughs> head. That was all that was left. Now, I don't mind looking that dumb to my kids in reference to how they do in life. I want them to do well. How does doing well look like? Now, we look at it from the secular perspective and, well, okay, if my child becomes a doctor, a nurse, you know, uh, how about this, a nurse anesthetist, right? That is the premium of all jobs. A nurse anesthetist does what anesthesiologists used to do. Uh, If you go to work in Indiana, you can work without an anesthesiologist even being over you. So you make about $150 plus thousand dollars a year. You have the best job of all. You're the sleepy person. You're the person that comes in there that makes everybody feel great and you're able to send them off into la-la land and you're the one that wakes them up when they're done. That's all you do. Give them drugs, you write down how they're doing, you watch their breathing, you intubate them whenever you give them the paralytic and then when you're done, it wears off, you bring them back, you make sure that they continue to breathe and your job's done. That is what the world considers success But that's not spiritual success. Spiritual success is a totally different plane. And tonight, we're going to look at that, how to prosper. How do you prosper? And we're going to look in Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you're able physically, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the path with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams 
that bears fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Father, tonight, God, speak to our hearts. God, give us wisdom. Lord, a wisdom that brings prosperity and not a prosperity from the world's perspective and the world's view. Father, give us the prosperity of understanding that as a follower of Jesus Christ, Lord, wisdom comes when we're rooted in truth. Truth comes from nothing other than you, Father. You are the absolute standard of all moral truth. There is no relativism in the spiritual sense, Father, and anything that is is not part of a solid, absolute standard of truth that is unchanging and will truly stand the test of time. Father, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and therefore the truth based in you is truth. And God, we praise you tonight that we have that standard with which we are able to assess and we're able to make the decisions, Lord, and the choices we have in life, God, are not based on what we think, but on that absolute standard. Father, we commit this to you tonight. Hide me behind the cross. Move in hearts as only you can. And we ask this all in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So again, opening up the book of Psalms, I love it because what a great way to start it. How happy is the one? You think that's actually asking how happy is the one? No, it's basically making a statement, meaning you can't imagine the happiness of one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the seat of scorners, as some versions say, as this one again sits in the company of mockers. So how happy is the one? It's saying there's literally, it's limitless, is what that in essence is saying. How happy? There's no other place that you could be any more happy than one who is dwelling with the advice, not of the wicked, they don't stand in the pathway of sinners. They don't sit in the company of mockers. We're going to see in a minute what they do. But verse 1, I want to share this out of that. If you want to be happy, avoid the pathway of the wicked. What is the pathway of the wicked? The pathway of the wicked is always the pathway that is self-serving, self-justifying, self-focus. It's what Technically, when you watch the psychological sense, it's people who struggle with narcissistic personalities. If you know what that is, it's people who are completely focused on themselves. Everything that they do has a motive with which it will benefit them, no matter what it is. There's always, the narcissist is extremely skilled in what they do, and everything is always about them. When you meet one, and you understand what one is, you never forget when you run into one. You got to be careful, though, because sometimes you can begin to classify everybody in that. But I'm talking about someone who truly is a narcissist that's focused on them and nothing else in their life is about. Then you have the people that go into the criminal part of it where you have people who are sociopaths. That's a whole different qualification, classification. Sometimes uh, they'll even, a lot of them will exhibit some of those tendencies, but I'm speaking about in that narcissistic tendency. That is not biblical because that is not a person who is delighting in the advice of wise. They're not standing in the council of wisdom, standing in the council of wicked. It's all self-serving. Why do we know that's wrong? Because we know what the first commandment is. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And then number two, most important in that perspective, when looking at it from that, to love your neighbor as yourself. So we know that narcissism is counter-cultural to Scripture, but it's completely contradictory to truth. 
Because what it does, it focuses not on loving your neighbor as yourself. It focuses on basically that song I shared from the 80s, uh, Wednesday night, Whitney Houston, greatest love of all. That's the essence of that picture of someone who is narcissist. It is about me. It's not about others. Everything and everything someone has, it's good old perspective. What I have is mine and what's yours is mine. That's that mindset. What's mine's mine and what yours is mine. Everything's always about them. Anybody ever known someone like that? It's kind of tough, isn't it? Because once you recognize, sometimes it happens after years of friendship. You, you just didn't pay, you, you dismiss those, especially if you were really needy for friendship. I'm a hyper loyal, I'm very loyal when it comes to friendship. And ultimately, the loyalty in friendship is very difficult sometimes, especially when you really love to have good, genuine friendships. You can dismiss warning signals that tell you, uh-oh, we better be very careful because I need to, you don't, what you want to do is, we know what the Bible says. Yep, they ask for the clothes, give it. We realize that. But at the same time, you cannot set yourself up to be completely victimized because if you have a family to feed and you have things, you can't give away everything that you have, right, and not be able to keep a roof over your head. It might sound good theologically, but when your children are standing there looking at you because why? You took the last $100 you had and gave it to someone that said they needed it, and you can't keep the lights on at your house, and now your children are going to be homeless. You see what I'm talking about? There's rational wisdom with which we need to apply God's word. Amen? That's what God gave us, this thing that sometimes is used as a counterbalance or a counterweight that sits between our shoulders. We've got to use those things because there's sometimes I might not have the financial ability to, to minister to a financial need because I have a financial need that goes out at home that's quite substantial. Maybe there's someone else, a brother or sister in Christ, or the body of Christ that can meet that financial need that someone else has. What it means is, as God lays that in front of you, get in front of people who have that ability, and God maybe has gifted with the ability to maybe minister. It doesn't take much to minister to someone. It doesn't. It just takes what? I shared that this morning, that third point from last week's, not this morning's, but last week's message. You have to be Willing. Amen. Pam, you go, girl. You've got to be willing. I can't put the desire to will you to want to do that. I know that someone has a need. There's another need that I can't meet. The one you don't know about. Someone's in a major issue. They're in a major bind. We can't meet a need that we don't know about. Can we meet every need all the time? That's not hypothetically possible, is it? But there's going to be times when we can help meet needs. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Now, the body of Christ sometimes gets so inundated by the outside world. I've seen it happen where they have ministered so much to the outside world that they're not even meeting the needs of those in the body. That's also unbiblical, right? Because we've got to make sure that we meet each other's needs. And that's just an important thing in Scripture. But if you want to be happy, you avoid that pathway of the wicked. You know what the Scripture says in Ecclesiastes? Anybody know about Proverbs? Do not be overly what? Righteous. Have you ever thought about that? Imagine what we can take that to the extreme of, right? God, I don't want to be too holy here, so I'm going to go out and do something to counterbalance because I've been pretty holy here lately. The scripture says don't be overly wise. You know what else it says? Don't eat too much honey. The Bible says it. You know why? You'll vomit it up. 
Then the scripture tells you don't go to your neighbor's house too much. Don't wear out your welcome. You know what the Bible talks about with gossips? You can destroy. Saying things you shouldn't say or ought not be saying. I know it's hard. I remember being a kid. We were very poor. My dad was a Bible teacher. My hand-me-downs were third generation hand-me-downs. You know what I had? Nothing. You know what I was? I was in a Christian school because my dad got to send me there because he worked at the school. You know what happened to me? I was ridiculed. I was bullied and I was mistreated horrifically as a child. I know what that's like. You know what that's done to me as an adult? I'm the one that that always reach for the underdog. You know why at church I don't like cliques? Can't stand them. I cannot stand them. And I don't see cliques here. If they're here, I don't even know about them. I don't like cliques. Cliques are when people are walled out of a group of people. I've seen it with adults. You know how bad it is when you see adults that have cliques? You know that I've been in churches where adults clicked. You know how I knew it? Because not only during their invitation time do they not walk around, during invitation the pastor says to you and say, hi, who sits together? You sit with your clique. You ever thought about that? What does that do? That allows this person and these people and those and those never to even know one another. They walk by and don't even know what that person, don't even know who they are. They've seen them. They know they go to church with them, but they wouldn't have a clue what their name was or anything if their life depended on it. You know that that way we walk around here at church from day one. I said, church, we're going to do this. Don't care how big we get. Might have to extend our greeting time, but this is important because what it does, it gets us in the face of every person in this building during our greeting time. Because there's possibly not a chance that after the service, people are going to have the time or take the time to spend time getting to know those. And when you have greeting time, you begin to develop friendships, even though it is ever so quickly, you will find out yourself, you begin to develop friendships as you go around and shake people's hands. Very important. You know that that's an activity of the wise. You know why? The Bible talks about being sure that no bitter root arises. So when you're out there getting in the face of everybody, it's really hard to sit in front of somebody and go up to them and give them a hug and have an issue with them, isn't it? That's why it's important to get in people's presence because I will promise you, if you've not been the underdog at one point in your life, it will come. It's just a matter of time. You know what I've always uh, been interesting to watch? You go into the yearbook, when I was young, you know, you'd have the cheerleaders. And it is the cheerleaders, right? The cheerleaders are always the ones that everybody wanted to be part of, the football people. And they were just the, you know, they were the prom, what do you call it? The homecoming uh, king and queen. Remember those? And you just, you're like, oh, I just wish I looked like her, ladies, right? The guy like, oh, man, I was macho like him. And, oh, girls want to go out. Nobody wants me. I'm, you know, 140 pounds, dripping wet. Everybody else is 180 pounds and muscular. And you just, you know, you look at it in this longing of, I just wish I had that type of, people, this relationships that these people have, it is ironic what 15 years does. You will never believe how many instances and people I actually know that I knew in high school and when I saw them again, it's like on the cartoons when your eyeballs did that and you go, 
And I could not believe what happened to the homecoming queen and king and those who were so important and popular in high school. You know what I did? Oh God, thank you for not answering my prayer. So you don't realize, what does Ecclesiastes say? There's a time for everything. Yeah. So what comes around goes around, meaning if you want to be happy, you want to avoid the pathway of the wicked because it's an easy path to walk. Remember this, the pathway of the wicked is an easy path to walk. You know what that means? That means it's very easy to get on and it's very easy to find comfort within the pathway that the walking occurs. Meaning it's Easy to do the wrong thing and not the right thing. I remember being kids. You sit in church and you write notes to one another, right? Because I don't like what the pastor's talking about. And I got bigger pressing things, right? And we sit in there and we write notes back and forth about conversations that we're having with one another when the pastor's preaching. And we're talking about things that don't have any business being talked about in the middle of a service because things are so important, but yet not realizing that what I stand here tonight and talk about is extremely important because this is life and death. All of these little temporal things in life are passing away. But the foolishness that we get involved in, that we sit around and begin to get ourselves involved in is the pathway of wicked. It's going to cause trouble. It's going to cause strife. It's going to cause division and brokenness. And we've got to be very careful what we get involved in because there's consequences when we involve ourselves in the pathway of the wicked, right? But happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. That is where wisdom's found. You want to be happy? Avoid it. What does it take? Sometimes it takes walking life alone. It takes walking on a path that others aren't walking on recognizing that all of these things don't matter. It doesn't matter keeping up with the Joneses. Anybody know what keeping up with the Joneses means? Well, you go over to their house for a church dinner one night, right? And you know, you love the Lord too, and you go over there and you're like, oh man, the Joneses are in a 600,000. You know, and I love Jesus too, so I, I don't want them to come to my house because my house sure don't look like the Joneses' house. And look, man, the Joneses, they got nice cars. Our cars aren't nice like that. And then a lot of times we end up cursing our blessing because God's given you a car that works fine and a house that's nothing wrong with. It might not look like the Joneses, but it's the blessing that God's given you and God has, for that purpose and time in history, given you what you need. He promises to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ, doesn't he? Our needs. So when God gives you something and you and I go over to that person's house and we begin, even if ever, ready, subconsciously, because I don't want to tell your wife or husband because my gosh, they'll think we're such a jerk if you were to go, honey, I might be living something like that. So you don't even think about it. You know what happens? This is a, a dialogue with yourself that occurs subconsciously. Doesn't even leave your mouth. You think it's right? No, it's wrong. It's still wrong. Why is it wrong? Because what you're doing is saying, God, I don't like what I have. I would be much happier if you'd give me that. And this is what I deserve, God. Not what I've got. I deserve that. Think about it. It's wicked. It's ungodly. I have plywood still on the floors at home. You know what I do? I love it. 
You know why? Because when I get up morning at 2 o'clock and read my Bible, and I sit down on there, I know that the price that was paid so that those floors are in the condition that they're in. God sent the kids, and the money going to the floors went to the kids. So I know that the sacrifice of not sitting and rolling my floor in my living room and rolling on plywood is a result of giving to others what they didn't have the ability to give themselves. And see, that is the pathway of sacrifice, and it's sacrificial living and sacrificial giving, which is such a foreign concept culturally now. Because our culture says what? I deserve it now. It is mine, I deserve it, and I should get what I want. My own mom says, I wouldn't live with the floors like that. Mom, I'm going to live with the floors like that because I'm not going to go and get in a bunch of debt and do a bunch of foolishness to make my floors look like I would like them to look than they will in their perfect time. And that's okay. My mom says she likes things orderly. My mom likes everything. Amen? Anybody have moms like that? Or maybe you're like that? Huh? You ever had those people? Listen. All right, got my glasses right there. You ever had those people? They walk back. Oh. Huh? I'm not like that. Praise the Lord. Anybody like that? Anybody be honest? Are you? Okay. You know what I'm like. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's a curse, isn't it? It's tough. But see, we got to be careful because, yes, I want, a, I want a life of order. We know what God is. I talked about it Wednesday night. God's a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. He's a God of power, love, and of a sound mind. God does not want foolishness. God doesn't want disorder in our life, meaning from the perspective of, if we are living in absolute, complete, and utter chaos, I call ours organized chaos, right? Yeah. It's not dirty. It might be cluttered, but it's not dirty. Some, that's fine, because at, this, at the end of the day, I want relationships, and I want to invest in people. And the things that we've got to be careful of is remembering that we can get caught in mindsets and attitudes and actions that are going to hurt people. We can really get caught in things that will remove the ability for us to prosper. It literally, a spirit, it's literally like cursing your blessings. The same way that going to that other follower of Christ's house, that you walk in, the minute you pull in the driveway, your mind immediately goes to, well, I'm like, wonder, wonder where I got all this money from. You know that happens. I know it happens. I've heard people say it. Where did they get all that from? You mean where they get all that from? They're working. Well, they might be neck deep in debt. It ain't none of your business. And by the way, they stop when I say that too. Amen. Amen. Doesn't matter. Maybe they got an inheritance. It's none of your business. They shouldn't have given some to you. That's theirs that God blessed them with to do with what they want to. Stop questioning somebody else's motives and something God blessed them with. That's the problem is you get there, you look at that, you begin to formulate these roots that are ungodly, unbiblical, they're flat out wicked. And what happens is in doing so, we curse our blessings. And then the second verse, listen, here we go. See, we got this, that wicked, not walking that counsel, we move on to this. Instead, though, that happy, that wise person delights in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. So we have, how happy is this person who's delighting 
They're not walking in the advice of the wicked. They're not standing in the pathway of sinners. They're not sitting in the company of mockers. Instead, they delight in the Lord's instruction and meditate on it day and night. We'll stop there and I want to share this with you. The wise delight in the word of the Lord and the things of the Lord. The wise delight in the word of the Lord and the things of the Lord. Because I promise you, life has a good way of humbling you. Anybody else know that? Life has a real good way of humbling you. Same way that when I left home, I was 16 before I had a, a, a scooter at 15 years old, so I did that with work when I finished school. 16, I bought my first car, working like an animal, recognizing, I'll never forget, I woke up one day and said, I have to do this for the next 50 years. What a fool I am. Because it became summertime. And I remember the first year, I was 17 then, I was working at the, I was the, the top salesman for Hayes Mitsubishi in Gallatin, or Rivergate, Tennessee. They had to get a variance for me to sell cars. They had to call their insurance company and they had to get a rider on their insurance policy and get uh, authorization because I was only 17 years old. You had to be 18 years old to go on test drives and drive their cars. They got a variance for me. I sold 36 cars my first month. I was a car, listen, I eat, breathe, and slept cars. I loved cars, still like cars. But I'll never forget as I was, hey, the summer of 19, 1993, I believe it was. And it was about June or July. We'll see every summer what happens. School gets out and you go on vacation. And I used to go up to my grandfather's farm and go run, driving a semi with him back and forth to paper mills and doing running equipment and doing all this stuff. So <clears throat> that summer, I was thinking, oh man, I can't wait till summer. And uh, oh, there was a feeling of impending doom. Oh, wait, you don't get summer anymore. <laughs> You're not in school. So I decided that I'd better retire from, from cars if I wanted a vacation. So the owner of the dealership, he actually owned a whole conglomerate. He was the general manager over all of the Hayes stores at that time. His name was Dave Flynn. He used to be on, if you remember, Dave Flynn was the guy, if you were here back in those days, <clears throat> they had the <clears throat> double Weebates, they called it. And this guy got on there and acted like a fool on TV. And everybody knew the commercials because Dave Flynn was on TV all the time. Hayes Mitsubishi, double Weebates, and he'd do this funny thing and act a fool. Flynn was a man you didn't get meetings with. One day I get a call that Dave Flynn wants to see me. I had already told them I was giving my two weeks notice and I was going to uh, go on to bigger and better things. So this man who's over all the dealerships, they take me in the call the top room with the glass up there that you can't see in, but they can see out. It's like, you know, if you think about it theologically, about where God stays. This is the God of the dealerships, meaning this guy's, and I'm going up to there. All the salesmen are like, what have you done? I didn't do anything. So I went up there. Mr. Flynn's standing there, very serious man. And he says, Osterhaus. My cousin was working there too, by the way, and he didn't sell cars like that. He didn't do well at all. He goes, you and your cousin, are totally, your cousin ain't got it. He ain't got no business being here. He said, but you got it. And he said, if you'll stay here, he said, in less than 24 months, you'll be making $250,000 a year and I'll have you over a store. 
I said, Mr. Flynn, I'm working seven days a week right now. They called it bail to bail. I was there at seven o'clock in the morning and I didn't leave between seven or seven to, to nine o'clock at night was the time I would leave the store. I said, I have no life. I said, I have a lot of money in my account right now, but I can't even spend it. Everything's closed when I get off. By the way, kids back then, you didn't have internet. So you couldn't buy anything online. It's the greatest way to save money in the world is go be a brand new car salesman. You work seven days a week, 12 hours a day, and you can't spend it. And I said, Mr. Flynn, I can't spend all this money I have. I'd made one check. I'd made $5,500 on one car. But that didn't do nothing for me. And I remember saying, Mr. Flynn, I'm sorry, but I'm just not going to do it. He said, it's the dumbest decision you're ever making in your life. And he tried that. But I left that day. Went on my summer vacation, came back and ended up in the Christian music business working the record company. Got a great job working five days a week. Made great money. Had a great insurance. I had all those things. But God had a different plan. I wasn't even a Christian back then, but I know God orchestrates our lives. God knows the end and the beginning. Amen? <clears throat> and God used that in a really powerful way. But God taught me a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of decisions that we make. And you often think about how things could be so different had I not made the decisions that I made back then. But see, I recognize, see, the wise delight in the word of the Lord and the things of the Lord. And I recognize then I was as outside of God's will as you could ever imagine. You know, I was just a young kid trying to figure life out, making a living, doing the best I could do at that point, not worrying about anything spiritual. I'm just trying to tread water and do what I'm supposed to do. But as adults and even as children that aren't if foolish like me and deciding to finish school at 15 years old because you know everything you have choices and tonight the choices we have have great implications in people's lives i watch all the time families leave money to children only to destroy their children destroy their families i literally have a situation i've dealt with right now not been anything to do with here it's in another state where one of our family members is leaving stuff to us because of others in the family that they can't, can't leave things to because they don't want the mess that would ensue if they didn't do what they're going to do right now. My, my admonishment is to people, you want to leave your kids something, leave them something paltry. What it means paltry? Something small. Don't leave your kids a whole bunch of money because if you do, you'll destroy them. I promise you will. Not my family. You don't know us. I know. I've heard that a thousand times. And those are actually the ones that eat each other alive more than anybody else once you're gone. And by the way, not only do they disgrace themselves, but they drag your name through the mud in the process. Amen? I've seen some of the greatest disasters ensue upon the deaths of people. And what's so sad is a lot of times those family members that we think are going to go out and do something really good and for the kingdom, don't do anything for the kingdom with it. They go out there and indulge themselves in a disastrous cascade of, in some senses I've even watched, deviant things that have destroyed not only them but their families. This is a different time in history and time. You know what happens when people have farms now? You know what happens, right? Those kids aren't like I am and like my son would be. Dad, I'd hang on to the farm. That's part of the family. You know what they do now? There's an old saying, show me the money. Oh, yeah. I've heard them when they've talked to the parents when they were alive and said, oh, I'd never split this place up. This means so much to me. I've watched the same people 
Literally, the body's not gotten cold yet, and they're standing at an auctioneer's home saying, when we put this on the auction block? Why do I say that? Because the Bible says the heart of mankind is deceitfully wicked above all else. How do you want to prosper? Not only prosper for yourself, it's not a spiritual prospering I'm referring to tonight. I'm talking about spiritual do you want to help your kids prosper one day? Don't set a trap for them that they are not able to withstand. Don't forget that. Make decisions right now that will help your children determine what they do and don't do tomorrow upon your death. Make it set up in ways where they couldn't squander it if they wanted to. You need to talk to financial advisors about that, but I'm going to tell you something. The worst thing you can ever do is enrich your children upon your death because money given to others Sadly, this day and time, I don't care how good they are, most often does things that are contradictory to the very heart that you had in desiring to do what you did in leaving children vast sums, health, real estate, and everything else. But prospering with them, what is it going to mean? Well, prospering to them, if they're a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ anchored in truth, they're not going to really care much about money in the first place. Why? Because they, they see it as a means to an end. People who love Jesus, money is nothing but a means to an end. You know what that means? It's just a means by which I glorify and honor Christ, and I am living to die. I'm literally living as a living sacrifice, and I want the very words of my mouth, the essence of my physical work and wealth. I am seeing that as nothing more than a way with which that God can be glorified in my life, my home, my family, and my friends. But see... The wise delight in the Word. They delight in the Word of God. They delight in the Word of the Lord. They delight in the things of the Lord. We have to set the stage now for our children and our children's children to be able to function in that arena in that time. Living trust, you think about that. Hey, set up a trust so they can't get a hold of it. They, it literally is so tight. It'd go 50 years if you have a vast wealth. 50 years, they can't, it only gives a little bit a month and everything that goes in interest comes back and it gives them a little bit a month and there's no way it's irrevocable trust, that's the name of it. How about that? Then you don't choke them with something that they can't do. I saw something recently happen. Wasn't somebody in this church. Wasn't somebody in this region right here. But a man had a very sizable gift that was to be given to a Christian ministry upon the person's death. The child, under the guise of wanting to help the father, went and petitioned the court to become the custodian of the father's resources, and the father agreed. He had gotten a great deal of dementia at this point, and the court allowed him to do that. In this person's will was a substantial gift to a ministry. The son convinced the father that he would be the one to best disperse this ministry gift and was successful in convincing the father of this. And upon the first part of this, the money began to be squandered at the rate that would stagger you if you knew. So the very thing this person didn't know as he should have established an irrevocable trust. An irrevocable trust cannot be revoked. I say that to make sure all of us recognize it is only by God's grace that we all fall into a big mess tomorrow. 
Why is it so important scripturally that we establish boundaries and guidelines? You even see it in God's word. You see it in accountability. You see it all throughout scripture. Accountability is paramount. Why would we establish something for a child that is set up for it to fail and fail them? Why? We wouldn't do that with malice aforethought. We wouldn't do that with intention, would we? No. I know no parent in the world would set their child up with a financial windfall upon their death that would in any way hurt or harm them. It's always done inadvertently, not on purpose. There's no malice aforethought. There's no intention of doing that. It's the sad thing that we're all desperately apart from knowing Christ Jesus and being rooted, and even in that, there's still that temptation for it. We've got to be very careful. But see, the wise, they delight in the word of the Lord. They delight in the things of the Lord. We know the enemy, though, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ came that we might have life and more abundantly. So what we need to do is to be what? Wise as a serpent, harmless as a scripture says it. Don't set up kids for failure. Hey, don't set your wife up for failure. One day, if you have your estate set up, and let's just say you have a wife or you have a husband, that has a real bad spending problem. You want to die and just leave that? Not in a way that it would come in a scheduled way where it would help ensure that that was doled out over the course of a period of time with which it was protecting the ability for her to continue? Case in point, I remember a story many, many years ago. I knew this firsthand. A man had passed away left the spouse with a paid-off mortgage. This person developed a gambling addiction. And by the way, you would have been astounded at the age of the person. No spring chicken. This man had wanted nothing more than to set his wife up in a house and make sure she was paid and she was set for life. This very day, she lives with others. She gambled all of it away in a matter of two years. Borrowed money on the house and ultimately lost all of it. How do we prosper? When we're wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Scripture says it, wise as serpents, harmless as a dove. If you've ever dove hunted or been around doves, they can't do anything to you. You want to be as wise as a serpent because what do they do? They hunt. Doves don't hunt. They sit on the edge of your driveway and just peck on the ground. And half the time, you all battle trying to run them over, not on purpose. Why? Because they wait until the last second, and then they fly up and get hit. They're not smart. But a serpent is in the way that they hunt. They're wise. He's a serpent. We need to be that wise in establishing protection when you see somebody that has an alcohol addiction, if you were buying them or renting them a house, would you get them one next to a bar or liquor store? Right, no. You'd get them as far away from one as possible to what? Help protect them. And we should do the same with all of us in any way that could potentially be used of the enemy as a tool one day to try to bring destruction. And as a parent, as a father, as a mother, we know those are the things that we've got to really, really step back and realize because there's very serious pitfalls that people do not expect others to fall into. But we've got to be 
wise as serpents, harmless as a dove, people to prosper. We've got to set them up to prosper. Husbands, you're encouraging your wife in the Word, I would assure, most assuredly, to read the Word. Well, I hadn't thought about it. Are you crazy? You better be encouraging her in the Word because she can't be the wife that you need if she's not in the Word. Ladies, you better be encouraging that man. I don't want him to think I'm nagging. No, you love him. And you know that he can't love you the way that he's supposed to love you until he loves the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. So encourage him to be in the Word. You realize he's never going to have the fulfillment that he desires that God intended him to be fulfilled with if he's not in the Word. Hey, third and final thing tonight, here we are. The wise will prosper in all that God leads them to do. All. What is that third verse? They're like a tree planted beside the flowing water, the streams that bears its fruit in its season, whose leaf doesn't wither, whatever he does prospers. So that wise person, the one that doesn't stand in the counsel of the wicked or in the path of sinners, when they delight in the company, not of mockers, but in ones who are in the Lord, they delight in the Lord's instruction, meditate on it day and night. They're like that tree by the flowing stream, bears its fruit in season, the leaf doesn't wither, whatever they do prospers. God will bless the wise and they'll prosper in everything that they do. Why? Because they're delighting themselves in the Lord. They're not standing in the counsel of sinners and mockers. They're standing at the counsel of wisdom. They're not following the trends. They're not following what's cool. They're not following what everybody else is doing. They are a trailblazer, like the Apostle Paul, like Stephen. They stand not in the counsel of foolishness and all this wisdom of the world, they don't care about the wisdom of the world. And by the way, they don't care what the world thinks. They care about what the Lord thinks. They recognize that there is no prosperity unless it's the prosperity of God. And prosperity doesn't always mean finances. I could promise you I'd rather be in a tent with a really good sleeping bag in the middle of God's plan for my life, sitting on the Duck River with a fishing pole, than to be living in a million dollar mansion outside of God's will because I can assure you there's not enough drugs on the planet that could give me a peaceful sleep if I'm outside of God's plan. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will give me a peaceful sleep like none other in that sleeping bag on the side of Duck River if I'm in the middle of God's plan and will for his life and living in obedience according to his word and his desire for me. It's hard to see that though, isn't it? Well, Brother Jonathan, you're back. I know one thing. God would let my back hold it like a champ if that was what God's desire and will for me was. You know what I'd do? I'd go down there right by the gravel, and I'd just fashion that gravel like my back does, and I'd move around a little bit. And guess what I'd have? It'd be like a sleep number bed down there. Amen? Been alive a little, way, a little time. Find me some sand, and I'll get real comfortable because it forms your body. What I'm saying is I could sit around and say how miserable that would be or I would say, you know what? If God's got it, I'm going to make every way possible to just rest in that because God's got a supernatural, powerful plan, a purpose, and a will for my life. And I know if God put me in a tent on the side of the river, it'd be for his glory, for his purpose, his honor, and God's going to give me sustaining to endure the ability to endure what God would have me do for that season of my life. You don't want that now if it's out of rebellion and disobedience. 
because you don't know a misery like it'd be to live in a tent if you have squandered all that God gave you and as a result of sinful defiance and disobedience, you ended up living in a tent because I can assure you it's not going to be too comfortable. Amen? God's teaching a lesson when it's like that. There is nothing worse than being taught a lesson. When God had me in the wheelchair, it wasn't a sin lesson at all. It was God preparing me for his purpose and his honor. And you know what? As I sat in that wheelchair, little did I know, a dear friend of mine at that point that I'd known for a number of years, I'd come to Christ, so our friendship kind of had to veer off in a different direction. But as that person went on, he made choices, and I would often talk to him when I would see him about, you know, how important it is to give your life to Christ, how important it is. He had a brother who'd come to Christ as a result of some very unfortunate circumstances in life. But we've, we fast forward this month, that friend that I had had and been so close to less than a week and a half ago was under the influence and killed two people as a truck had an accident and it turned over and killed a father and a son. Me and this person used to be very, very close. Very, very close. And it's interesting how the trajectory of our lives when it went two different ways. Me, instead of being the wild person, I came to Christ, veered off the path I was on, and yielded my wants, my wills, my desire, my plan and purpose to the Lord. On the other hand, this person went in the direction he wanted to go, rejected all the times that I ever shared Christ, didn't want anything to do with it, was actually a little, not even, it was very, very resistant to it. And today, stands at over 50 years old facing God only knows what charges, but I know it's not good. See, that's not the way to prosper. That's not the way. We can do what we want to do. I'm not your dad. I can't spank you and make you decide to do the right thing. I can't do that. By the way, I don't want to do that because I'm not here to control you. I'm here because I know the good news of the gospel and I know the freedom that it brings. I know that God's plan and purpose will bring sleep that is sweeter than anything else that you could ever experience in life. But I also know what it's like when you grow up like I did and reject it. And the social is so much more exciting and fun and the drama and garbage of life overtakes you. I'll tell you what it'll do. Let me just assure you of this. I'll, I'll be proven right. I don't care. I'm not here to be proven right, but I will. It'll take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Do you want to delight yourself in wisdom? Do you want to prosper? It takes daily doing what Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. It takes breaking from the pack, even in adulthood with friends. It takes sometimes doing what I had to do with one of my closest friends, realizing that that friendship could not continue because if it did, I was no better than him. I was so weak spiritually that there was no way in the world that I could stand up against the addiction and the, uh, the desire that I did not have to drink and do those things anymore. I had to separate myself from the old me, separate myself from behaviors that were temptations to me. But I'm so thankful that God not only put me in the wheelchair and put me home in bed for four years, but he gave me that ability to rest on him and to remember and recognize then that he's all I needed anyways. 
I didn't need all this foolishness. It was nothing but a distraction from the loneliness that had, that had encompassed my very being as a person who had then come from death to life and now was living with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And I was now living in a true state of peace and beginning to see and realize that all of the distractions and diversions that my life was in addiction was nothing more than something robbing me of the blessing of God and the beauty of God's purpose and plan. But keep this in mind as you leave tonight. The decisions we make tonight and the things that we're dealing with, the choices we make in friendships and relationships and the choice we make to either honor or glorify the Lord will, will, assuredly, determine what we do and what we don't do tomorrow. This person, I'll never forget it, was so focused on retirement and he was sacrificing a family at that point. And I said, listen, it's not worth it. He said, I'll never forget it. He said, I just have a few more years and once I do this, by the way, this was um, about 18 years ago now. He said, a few more years. He had some big contracts that he was finishing. He said, once I do this, I will never have to work again. If I won't, I can spend all the time. And I said, you are assuming that you're gonna get that time. Long story short, what happened? Whatever happened, it continued to hit a lick, right? Because remember this, you don't ever get enough. It always takes more. Oh, if I just get a million, once I get to a million, I know I'm good, I'll stop at that and I'll be good. Oh no, you just don't know. It's never good enough. Then you want 1.5 or you want two. <clears throat> you keep striving. And then when you get to two, you get worried and you know, I need, I need three. I know this for a fact. It never is enough. But when you allow what God gives you to be enough and you just do what you need to do and you let God work the rest of it out, I can assure you, you'll have enough if it's 50 bucks in the bank account because you'll realize that God has a name on every dollar and as long as you put those dollars where God has the name on it, you'll never want and you'll never need. God will give you all of your glorious gifts, the blessings, the promise that what? He supplies all the needs. He says it. He promises it. And God doesn't lie. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.